0: Thank you, David. Y'all can be seated. Grab your Bible. Let's go to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be there here in just a minute. You can follow along in the bulletin. Uh, we also have a notes section on our app. If you're on our app, just go to Sundays. And uh, under that, you'll see sermon slides or sermon notes for the week. And you can fill things out. Get there. You can even add your own notes. And then you can save those notes for later if you'd like to look at those. But I know everybody's been there. At least if you've been wearing deodorant, you've probably had this experience. Right? Hopefully you do wear deodorant, but you switch brands, right? Maybe you're a a secret girl and you go to a degree. I don't know. Secret's such a weird name for a deodorant. It's a secret, right? Or maybe you're a guy, maybe you're Speed Stick, which smells terrible, by the way, and you switch to Old Spice. You have that experience, right? For me, it happened with my shower soap not too long ago. I've been a dove for men sport guy for a long time. And on sale at Sam's the other day was a three-pack of this brand called Harry's. And uh, Harry's soap, that's, uh, I was like, is this going to make me grow back hair? I don't know, right? But I switched brands for a little bit, and you all know what it's like. You've become blind to your original smell, and then you switch deodorants or you switch soaps for a little bit, and it feels like somebody is in the room with you, right? You're like, what is that smell, Right? Is there somebody been in my office? Is there somebody who's been in this house? Right? Is there somebody sneaking up behind me? Well, hey, guy. You know? You get that smell because you experience the human olfactory senses go nose blind. Y'all ever heard that term? Nose blind? What is normal becomes something that you no longer smell. And so when you switch soaps or deodorants, you can all of a sudden smell yourself. And you're like, man, somebody smells good and it's me. You also get this, if it's not with your nose, you get this, and this one's even weirder. It's not an olfactory sense that goes blind, but you get this sense, and the first time it happens to you, it's kind of freaky. It's when you're driving, and you have driven the same road over and over and over again, and you get the phenomenon called highway hypnosis. Anybody gotten highway hypnosis? Yeah. You drive 30 miles, and then you go to the next stoplight or something. Maybe you're out here heading across the panhandle on 287 or whatever it is. 280, I can't remember. It's 287, 281, right? And then all of a sudden, you look up, and you go, how did I get here, right? Some of you probably that live out on ranches, you ranchers coming back and forth to town, you probably wonder how you get home. There's this sense. It's a phenomenon where we lose kind of just we get on autopilot, and we just go through the first time that ever happens to new drivers, it's kind of freaky. It's kind of strange. How did I get here? It's the feeling of, and he who has ears let them hear this morning, it's that feeling of I'm awake, but I'm not. I can know that I, something is, is near me, but I don't sense it. I drove the distance, but I don't remember the road. It meant nothing to me. This, of course, happens all the time in what's routine, and it happens more than maybe we want to admit in a place deeper than we often know. It's not highway hypnosis, and it's not nose blindness, but in our routine with God, even what is normal can become unnoticeable, right? It's what we're going to call this morning, and it's what Jonah is going to experience in Jonah chapter one. As we finally knock out the whole chapter this morning, we're going to call it being God blind. It's not being nose blind, and it's not being highway blind, but it's when we experience so much routine that the normal becomes unnoticeable that we become God blind. Maybe it's for you this morning that you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, or maybe just for enough time. And there was a time, and I love that David already prayed about this, there was a time when you were excited and when you were full and the Spirit was moving in your life. You were in Word, in God's Word, and you were in prayer and connected, passionate and excited, but now you felt that fizzle. You've put it on cruise. Or maybe just the last couple years, 24 to 36 months, of the roller coaster of the world we're living in, right, has lulled you to sleep and you're stuck and uninspired. Or maybe, maybe it is. Maybe the best way to describe it is probably for most of us. And I'm talking to churchgoers for decades. Those of you that have been churchgoers for decades, it's so easy for us just to hit cruise control. And then we become slowly, often imperceptibly, God blind. It happens to me more than I'd like to admit, probably. It happens to you more than probably we'd like to turn to our neighbor and say, yeah, I'm right there right now. But I want you to know whatever it is and wherever you find yourself this morning, welcome to the family of Jesus. <laughs> to the full and passionate, to the dry and worn out in their faith, you're welcome here right it is us in the ups and downs who start to realize even when we go god blind god hasn't gone blind to us and maybe that's the bigger picture of this little book that we call jonah this hilarious weird little story about a prophet so this morning's text as we get into jonah i've told you that i told you this a couple of weeks ago it is a gut punch and it's going to be a gut punch today because jonah has gone God blind. He's asleep at the wheel. He's put it on autopilot. And whatever he used to do before, now he is unwilling to do. And the question it begs of all of us is, what happens when the redeemed covenant people of Jesus, the redeemed covenant people of God, put it on autopilot and end up just living like everybody else? What happens when those who have been called by God, the redeemed and reconciled, stop living and displaying their redemption and their reconciliation. That's Jonah 1. I want to pray over that. And this morning, I want to pray for that. And I want to pray for Monsi directly this morning. Monsi is going to be heading to Honduras. Uh, you leave Tuesday morning? Wednesday morning. Wednesday at 3 in the morning. That's... Yeah, that's Tuesday and Wednesday where it doesn't matter. It's just the same, right? But she's going to be going to Honduras with our friends over at the First Christian Church. Something that she signed up for two years ago, and now now they're trying. Garrison's trying to get it going again, and it's we're going to be praying for her and glad she gets to go. So let's pray this morning, and then we're going to pray over this, and we're going to head into Jonah, and uh, I pray that we're just ready to receive this this morning. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, it's, it's, it's incredible that even when I'm on cruise control, you're still good. When I've gone God blind, you're still good. When I walk away, when we wonder, when we purposely even take steps to get away from you, Father, you still are faithful. You still show up. And, and God, I pray that we'll see that this morning. Open our eyes and open our hearts today. God, help us to find um, not a spark of inspiration in my words, got kind of a spark of inspiration, a spark of your spirit in your word. God, may make me just faithful to display what the text says. I just want to be your servant today, so give me those gifts and let me get out of, the, out of the way. And God, may we all get out of your way today just to let you do your work in us, more of you and less of us, Father. God, we do lift up our friend Monsi. She's doing an awesome job this summer with our teens as our intern. And God, we pray that you bless her. She's going to be a special blessing as an interpreter, be able to speak Spanish down there. And God, I know you've prepared her for this trip and use her, God, to, to call people and to point people to you this week in Honduras. Bless that whole trip. Bless her friends at the First Christian Church as they get ready for that. May your will be done. God, may your will be done right now in this, in this moment. And may we take our renewed hope and desire, and our renewed sense of call and purpose out from these doors where it really matters. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we open up chapter one, here's a couple things I want you to do. There's a couple postures with the scripture we need to take that will help you today. Most of us are familiar with Jonah, but Jonah really reads like maybe the most modern equivalent we have is like a graphic novel. It reads like a comic book. Everything is extreme. There's blowing wind and there's things hurling and there's people crying out and there's people making actions that are very extreme. There's a lot of booms and pow's and blam's and splat's, right? It's a good way to think about it. And so first little piece of advice as we read this is not only read it as if you've never read it before, but read it looking for repeated words today. Look for the repetition. Because like a comic book, which I know I'm not trying to equate the Bible to a comic book. Don't, I'm not trying to be irreverent. But like a comic book, repeated action calls you into the story. And that's what Jonah is going to do. So watch the verbs and watch what is repeated. And second, it's going to be really important to look but tr- for a wordplay that's in Jonah 1. It's actually in all four chapters. But in Jonah 1 specifically for us today, there's going to be a word play between God, little g, and Lord, capital L-O-R-D, right? Now, quick word on that that may be shocking to you, but I hope it's not too shocking, right? God's name is not God, (laughs) okay? God, God in Hebrew is just Elohim, Elohim just means a generic idea of a heavenly being. Angels are Elohim. Other gods, like Baal, is an Elohim. God's name is Yahweh Elohim. He has a name. And Jonah makes that distinction very clear. When people are crying out to little g Elohims, gods, that are false gods, and when people make the switch and start to call on Yahweh Elohim. So you're going to see God... In your English text, and then you're going to see capital L-O-R-D. But what I did on the screen for us today was go ahead and insert Yahweh and Elohim where it's appropriate. This is more in tune with the original text and how the Hebrew would read, and what new, if you have a New American Standard Bible, some of the New American Standard, the newer ones, actually insert this as well. So let's jump into that. That's just a couple of notes, and it's helpful for what is going to happen today. Here's Jonah, chapter one. It says, "John." That's a Jonah, chapter one, one through five. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah, son of Amittai, "Arise, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me." But Jonah arose. And ran away from Yahweh and headed to Tarshish. Remember where Tarshish is? As far as you can get, right? He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard, is what the NIV says, but the word is actually he went down onto the ship and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Right? Okay. Well, I'm missing a few words there. Let me pick it up here. Then Yahweh sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I love this. The ship, like a comic book, is a character in the story. The ship here takes on personification and threatens to break up. The, threat, the ship is like, this is a bad storm. I'm about to fall apart. Okay, That's how it's supposed to read. All the sailors were afraid, and listen to what they do, and cried out to each his own Elohim. And then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below, gone down below deck, and lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, if you were paying attention, you saw the verbs, boom and pow and blam, not literally, But there is a great story unfolding here, a book that starts with a bang. Yahweh says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, and Jonah arises and runs away, (laughs) right? There's these actions here. His journey then is repeated. The most repeated word over and over is this phrase, to go away or to go down. He goes down to Joppa, down into the ship, down below deck, and then down into a deep sleep. Now, that is keyword. You're supposed to pay attention to that because in Hebrew, to go up is to go near Jerusalem. To go down is to go from the presence of God. That appears in the Hebrew writing by either going east or going away or going down. It's to take on a direction. And what the writer here, the story wants us to notice, that Jonah is not just running away, he is taking it to the very extreme. The text is literally pushing us in these first five verses to see that by Jonah's actions of going away from God, his actions have a consequence. What the text is actually saying here in the first five verses, and I apologize for it not all being on the screen, I don't know what happened there, is it is saying to us that when you go away from God, if God has called you and you move away, then there is going to be great consequence. See, Jonah in his choice to run and get on a ship, what happens? He gets on a ship headed to Tarshish, and then he brings great calamity on unsuspecting sailors and a captain. Jonah boards the ship. Yahweh sends a storm, and it's quite the storm. The ship is so threatened, it is threatening to break apart. And then in response to this calamity, what do the sailors do? They've got to survive, so they throw their livelihood over the side. Their money-making cargo, they throw it over the side. And what the text is trying to say in the first five verses is Jonah has thrown a literal giant stone into the Mediterranean, and its waves are making a mess. Not just of Jonah, but of everybody. And this is the moral of the story. When we start to think about that in terms of God-blindness, and Jonah's own God-blindness, it becomes blatant what is being said in the text. This is a story that tells us this. Is it when we become apathetic or God-blind? And I know this is extremely unpopular to talk about. But our apathy causes others to suffer. Now, word on that. And And again, I... I, I say this and I kind of breathe deep because I know that the prevailing zeitgeist of our culture is, is so against this thought that I'm about to give you. And, I, and you guys are going to probably have a, have a little bit of a visceral or body reaction to this. But hear the truth here. God's word here in Jonah is concerned with the philosophy that is so popular in our world today. It's working hard to expose this idea that I alone am affected by my actions and nobody else is. Hyper-individualism is where we live, guys. America, that's where it's at. We love the idea of my actions don't affect anybody else. What I do is my private decision and therefore... It doesn't hurt anybody else. And Jonah is exposing that. He gets on a boat and it ruins many other people's life. It almost threatens their life. This hyper-individualism that we've all been taught makes us believe that when we act, the only consequences of our actions fall upon ourselves. And there's nothing more further from the truth. Last year on a train in Philadelphia, this happened in 2021, and this is, not, this is not a singular event. This happens more than probably we want to know. It's an awful story. But on a train in Philadelphia that wasn't completely full, the cab wasn't completely full, but bystanders stood by and watched as a mentally deranged man assaulted and physically abused a young lady for eight minutes and they just stood and watched. Nobody did a thing. Some even did what all Americans would do, pulled out their phone and filmed it, believing that they were not responsible for the actions were only visual bystanders to the crime. That is hyper-individualism at work. Somebody being assaulted in front of us and saying, not my business. Now, that's an extreme example and, and I hope you're a little bit appalled by that. And probably all of us would, believe, would say, well, I would intervene. And prayerfully, we would. But we've also got to go behind that story and go, why does that exist? Why do we live in a culture where people wouldn't help and intervene and, and see their actions as, as having a ripple effect in a positive or negative way? And the sad answer to that question is that the reason we don't is the natural outcome of a culture that says what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is these types of things. What happens on the Internet when I'm in private mode stays on the Internet in private mode. What I do on Friday and Saturday doesn't affect my Sundays. How I speak poorly about others in town or even others in this church doesn't affect the church as long as they don't find out. And I could go on and on. But that is God blindness. It's this belief that nothing I do really affects anybody else. And I realize that's not fun to talk about. I've been in all this all week and I've been like, oh my goodness, i got to give this point. But the text was leading me there. And I, and I don't want you to be offended this morning by that. I want you to be convicted. Because what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. All right? Some of you are like, we just got back from Vegas. You talking to me? No. <laughs> no. I'm talking about the cultural idea. Our actions as a body of Christ matter to everybody in the body of Christ. Whether they're known or not known. And Jonah's trying to live this life and go aboard a ship and fall asleep. And he thinks it won't affect anybody. And then he makes like Miley Cyrus and he comes in like a wrecking ball and wrecks their lives. He messes. That's terrible, right? I came in Jonah like a wreck. Anyway, but he does that and he messes them up. They have to throw their livelihood overboard. And church family, I want you to hear this. And I say this in love, and I know that I know that this won't be accepted by everybody, and that's okay. What you do matters. It does. And our spiritual apathy and our God blindness doesn't just put a veil over your eyes, it casts a shadow onto other people. When we choose apathy, it ripples out into others' lives. That's why Paul says what he says here in Romans 12. Paul, as he's talking about being a living and loving sacrifice, using your gifts, notice these commands and notice as, he, as he's talking about, look at this is what a life in Christ should look like. Notice how many of them have to do with others, not just with you. He says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You can't be apathetic and practice hospitality. Right? And then he finishes out. Bless those who persecute you. and Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. In other words, what Paul says here to the church is what Jonah is trying to say to us in the first five verses. Is that the outflow of a life lived on the altar of God near the cross is not a pious, individualistic life. It's a community-filled, impactful, choice-making life that makes an impact on others. See, the church thrives when we are all following, rejoicing, and loving together. Together (laughs) we follow Jesus, right? And the world tells us, now just do it by yourself. And I hate to say it, and we'll move on, but the church honestly suffers when we pretend as if my actions don't affect other people. We suffer. So we could just wrap it up there. Y'all want, y'all want to finish? Like, yeah, we're not going to. Okay, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> all right, verse 6 through 10. I think I got some yeses out of that. You know, some are like, yes, please, stop, Jake, you, you're done. That's all right, let's keep going. A couple more things. Here's what happens next. This is great. (laughs) So Jonah's asleep. All this is happening. They're all shotgunning up prayers to whatever God they can think of, right? Molech, Balaam, Asherah, whoever they can think of. And then here's what happens. So the captain went down to Jonah and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your Elohim. Maybe he will take notice. This guy doesn't know Yahweh, so he just calls him. Call on your little God, your little G God. Maybe he'll take notice so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to, come, uh, to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They are panicking. They've tried prayer. They've tried casting stuff over the side. Notice the word play. They cast everything over the side. Then they're like, let's play some dice to figure this thing out. <laughs> let's cast some lots. All right? So here's what happens. They cast lots, and the lot, dun, 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 falls on our friend Jonah from Jonah, right? So they ask him. Tell us who's responsible for making this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They ask him four questions, and then he ask, answers this. I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, Elohim of heaven, Lord God, the I am Elohim of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Which is ironic because then the, the narrator tells you they already knew he was running for the Lord because he'd already told him so. I guess when he got aboard, he's like, hey, I'm just getting out of here. So there's some great stuff here. I love that the captain wakes up. And the irony here is this, this pagan captain wakes up Jonah and is like, hey, hey, you already told us you're on the run from God. Why don't you join us in prayer? Get up and start praying. There's irony there. Because the the hero of the story is supposed to be the prophet. But he's the anti-hero. And as they've all been praying to all other gods, he hasn't prayed to anybody. He's been sleeping through this whole thing. Then they ask. They cast the lots. Then they ask these questions. But Jonah's answer to the questions, after the lots fall on him and they know he is responsible for this, this is where the meat is. They say, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? And the text leads us to this answer. Because what Jonah answers is he says, I am Hebrew and I fear Yahweh. Now, if you've been listening, or if maybe you can imagine watching this text unfold on a stage, at this point, You've already know Jonah enough on the stage. Let's say like Corbin Throgmorton, our, 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 uh, our local guy, him and Miranda are putting on a play for us because they're in at one-act play, right? And uh, Jonah, Jonah is, of course, it'd be Corbin, no doubt, right? right. Miss Throgmorton Shire. But uh, he, uh, he would do that. And he comes out on stage and he says, I fear Yahweh. And the whole audience should gasp and go, no, you don't. Because Jonah's on a word play here. You're supposed to know the background. The text background is the Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And this man has no wisdom, so therefore he has no fear. He's not afraid of the Lord. He's afraid of what the Lord's grace will do for Ninevites. He's afraid of how good God is, but he's not afraid of the Lord. And so you're supposed to see this, and you're supposed to go, oh. This guy, that's ridiculous. This is the point of the story. You're supposed to hear, say this. You're supposed to pause at this point where he says, I fear Yahweh. And you're supposed to almost be aghast and say, I can't believe someone would act like this. This is the height of hypocrisy from Jonah. But then at the same time, if you're with me on this, you begin to realize the truth that's hard is the moment we start to say, I can't believe somebody would act like this, you catch your breath. And you might want to throw in, I can't believe I act like Jonah. Because Jonah's God blindness, the second point for us today is that Jonah's God blindness has done something that is so easy to do. Is that his God blindness, it turns the mirror. Let me explain that. So often, those of us that are Christian, the, the, the point of following Jesus and the point of having God's word is to shine a mirror on our own life, right? It's for me to go, how do I look like Jesus? But when I become God-blind, and Jonah's really God-blind, he's asleep at the wheel. He's asleep in the bow, in the bow of the ship. And God-blindness, what it does is instead of me going, how am I reflecting the character and nature of what God has called me to do, all I end up doing is going, how are these people doing it? Sure, I fear Yahweh. Sure, I'm doing what's right. But how about you guys? You see that? God blindness, instead of us looking at our own heart, turns the mirror, and we start to look at other people. And we start to go, well, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not calling on little G God. At least I'm not... Fill in the blank. And that's the point of these passages of 6 through 10. Jonah is turned the mirror where he's not even concerned with himself. He's just saying all the right words. He's just going through the motion. And that's the gut punch of this. The thing that makes us think about they or them, they're the problem. The gut punch is, is the very moment we begin to think, Well, at least I'm not like. Or maybe even throw in Jonah. At least I'm not like Jonah. It's in that moment, we are Jonah. And so to not be God blind, it means we start to turn the mirror back on ourselves. When I read scripture, I'm not to read scripture in a way that is to look at where everybody else is wrong. It's there to be something that, burns out and transforms my impurities and when i turn the mirror back on myself i start to ask questions like what can i offer how can i grow how can i bless who can i get to know So let's finish up the chapter here and see how this thing wraps up it just gets worse (laughs) the sea was getting rougher and rougher so they ask him these are the sailors what should we do to make the sea calm down for us Oh, this is great. So they're like, they've thrown everything overboard. The storm hasn't shot, stopped. They know Jonah's at fault. And they're like, desperate last question. Last question, Jonah, what do we need to do? And Jonah's like, I volunteer as tribute. Throw me overboard. Pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, you could see that as Jonah having all this kind of character and integrity, but that's not the point of the text. At the end, If you read the whole book in chapter 4, he wants to die too. This is probably him going, I just want to die. All right? Instead of throwing him overboard, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the, gro- the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to Yahweh, please, Yahweh, notice the change. They've been crying out to who before? Elohim. Now they're crying out to Yahweh. Please, Yahweh, do not let us die for taking this man's life. And then they go on to say do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you Yahweh have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this the man greatly feared Yahweh. And they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows to him. <laughs> Jonah converts people even when he doesn't want to. <laughs> it's unbelievable. These guys become followers of Yahweh who just, back in verse 5, they're they're shooting and shotgunning prayers out to whatever Elohim they can think of. And now, in verse 11, there's this great twist, and they have made vows and sacrifices to Yahweh Elohim. Now, we'll get into how there's a little bit more fun with that in chapter 2, but that's not the point of this. The point for the day is this, is Jonah is still God-blind. He realizes he's at fault. He realizes he's responsible. He realizes that his apathy has caused others to suffer. He realizes that there is more to the story than just his own self. But the third thing he does here that God blindness does is he's so God blind, he misses God converting and calling people back to his heart when it's right in front of his face. God blindness means we miss the very best. Of God. Now, this is just my opinion, but isn't the best of God always where he moves in places or in people you never thought possible? The people that we go, oh, that's a lost cause. She's a lost cause. She'll never come around. He's a lost cause. He'll never come around. That's when God's the best. But our God blindness causes us to even be in that place. And I'm sure Jonah was never thinking that these men would come to know Yahweh, Jonah in his arrogance and God blindness is missing the very best of God. So if you've hung with me so far, the two or three of you that are with me, let's get to this last point. Brennan Manning Manning said it this way. Brennan Manning wrote a great, great book. And in the book he says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's when we box God. It's when we hold him in a corner. It's when we say, well, that's the only way I know that God can do things, so therefore there's no way God could do it the way you're saying. It's when we praise him with our lips in here, and then we walk out and nobody knows a difference in our life because we're God blind to his presence anywhere but Sunday mornings. It's when we've defined our relationship with God by 75 minutes on a Sunday. And if Jesus came to die just for us to live 75 minutes on a Sunday, I would call his death van, van, vanity. Right? No amens on that one, huh? It's vanity. If it does not matter what we do in here, if it does not make a difference out there, why are we here? Right? There's no point. It's just rote, it's just pattern, it's nothing. And Brendan Manning sums it up so good. And what we see in this text is God shows up in unlikely places. The guys who were in one moment were throwing up prayers to whatever God they could think of all of a sudden had this moment where they're like, we're going to call on Yahweh. And I think we need to see that again. God shows up in unlikely places. I think that's what the lesson has been for me over the last 14 days, watching our teens. And, And I'd only got to see some of it on video, but getting to see... Our teens come to Christ to get excited and fired up and get to talk with my high school kid when he got back, when Anderson got back from camp, and he was just like on cloud nine. And it wasn't the emotion that I was inspired by. It was the conviction I was inspired by. It wasn't that they were having a spiritual high. I May mean, we all have spiritual highs, but God isn't a spiritual high. He's not an emotion. He is a constant Father God who will show up in any situation. And when we need to look at right now in our world as a church, where we need to look, I think, is to our teens. And not shut them down and not say, well, oh, well, that's just not the way we do it. It's the way God's doing it right now. He's brought eight of them to know Christ in the last couple weeks. And I'm not going to deny that. And so we need to join in that and say, God is moving in unlikely places. Let's get some wide-eyed wonder adults and go, maybe he's ready to use us again too but we got to give him space and we got to take off the blinders and we got to stop turning the mirror out towards other people and turn it back on ourselves. Say, where is God wanting to use me today? And this is good news. I know that this is a gut punch. I mean, it's like stomping all over the place. Jonah is hard. Everybody thought it's just a kid's story. It's not right. We've done it. No justice by just saying it's a kid's story about a fish. Oh, it's a, It's a story about how to follow God. So if you need anything today, we're here for you. I want to just encourage you with this. Man, coming to Jesus is never the wrong move. Repentance is never a lose-lose situation. Baptism is not a win-lose situation. Oh, I came to Christ, now i got to give up my life. It's a win-win situation. Because there is only life in Jesus. We love y'all. We're thankful for y'all. Let's stand together and let's sing.